Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us, support us. Go to the dsrnetwork.com right now. Thank you. This is the Daily Blast from the New Republic, produced and presented by the DSR Network. I'm your host, Greg Sargent. Ruben Gallego, a congressman from Arizona, is running for Senate against the ultimate in MAGA celebrities, Carrie Lake. You may remember Lake. A leading 2020 election denier, she was the MAGA superstar who was supposed to cruise to victory in the 2022 Arizona gubernatorial race. But she lost and spent the next year screaming fraud and trying to reverse the results. Now she's running again, but some new polls show Gallego ahead. Emerson has him leading Lake by 36 to 30 percent, with 21 percent backing independent Senator Kirsten Sinema if she runs, which is uncertain. With just Gallego and Lake, it's 46 to 39. Another poll has similar findings. Today, with Democratic control of the Senate on a knife's edge, we're joined by Congressman Gallego to talk about why winning this race is so essential for his party and what's going on with voters on the ground. Welcome, Congressman. Hey, thanks for having me. So tell us a bit about your background. You grew up in a border community, right? And then you served? Well, I mean, sort of. I grew up in a border community, but on the Mexican side in, in Chihuahua, Mexico, uh, and um, a border state. Um, lived for a couple of years uh, with my family there, uh, was born in the United States and then moved back. Uh, you know, actually, as a matter of fact, English is my second language. Um, and, uh, you know, grew up in a kind of very, at first, uh, your middle class existence. My father was a carpenter. My mom was a secretary. Uh, eventually, unfortunately, things did go south. My father left the picture and got involved in kind of the criminal world uh, and criminal life. Uh, became a drug dealer, and my my mom was uh, you know the rock of the family, and uh, you know uh, really took over and um, raised me and my three sisters on my own and on her own. Of course, I did my best to be helpful. Uh, 
you know, really because of, of her, of her efforts and, and, uh, you know, my, my big extended family, we, we are living the American dream. You know, I went from, uh, for many years, not having a bed starting, uh, from, uh, uh, fifth grade on, uh, until college, uh, it was my, uh, first bed ever. Uh, you know, my sisters also, uh, did not have it easy and yet they all ended up going, uh, to college. I have one sister who's a doctor. I have another sister who's a teacher. Another one, sister who's a businesswoman. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to to get into Harvard with a lot of hard work, and uh, and uh, all that. After that's all said and done, my mom herself went back and got her college degree. And uh, you know, for me, it's always been a an honor uh, and a privilege to be born in this country. And I felt very uh, committed to serving my country uh, because I felt that. Um, I owed them uh, some service uh, and uh, didn't think it would ever amount to what I ended up doing. But um, I, I joined as a reservist, uh, United States Marine Corps, uh, and um, an infantryman, and uh, you know was going to do whatever the country asked me to do, whether it was one week in a month or two weeks a year or, or whenever they needed me. And eventually that did happen. I, I got activated and sent to Iraq and uh, joined a, 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 an amazing group of, of men uh, and Marines. Uh, out of uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, that joined up with a group of uh, guys from Ohio and uh, named Lima Three Twenty Five, and you know this is the height of the insurgency, and I was, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, had to do a lot of um, time out on patrol and uh, a lot of fighting, and uh, with that, uh, I unfortunately lost a lot of friends. Uh, and, yeah, uh, I've heard that. Uh, I think you've said that um, that that you served with a number of Republicans, which is sort of uh, create, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, it sort of created in you a bit of a, an ethic of trying to talk to people who who you disagree with. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, me me trying to talk to people who I disagree with it, it comes from me being growing up in a Latino family, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> that's that's step one. Uh, but step two, like you know, I, 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 these are the guys that I sweated with, the guys that I you know held hands with when you know things were getting pretty uh, hairy. Uh, that I prayed with. Um, uh, and so even though, you know, we, we don't see eye to eye politically, um, I love a lot of them and they love me and, um, I have to, uh, you know, give them, uh, opportunities all the time and they have to give me opportunities all the time. And, and I think that just kind of gives me a different attitude when I serve, I serve in politics. Well, you're trying to get a promotion in politics now and the polls I cited earlier are good for you, but they're not all good, right? You trail in some other recent ones. This is a very close race, is it not? It's a very close race and look, I I'm not uh, under any illusion this is going to be an easy race. Nothing in my life has ever come easy. I've had to work I've had to work for everything and I've succeeded in almost everything in my life because I work harder than anybody else and that's what we're doing right now. We're not taking uh, any chances. I'm going to all parts of the state. I'm meeting with Democrats and Republicans. I'm going to the reddest parts of the state and meeting with Republicans and independents. And, uh, you know, I'm going to some very blue parts of the state that also uh, ha- feel forgotten. I'm talking uh, to tribal members that haven't seen an elected official. Uh, for one example, I went to one uh, tribal nation that had not seen uh, an elected official, official since 2008 when John McCain was there. Uh, we're going to be the first uh, uh, campaign ever to visit all 22 federally recognized tribes, which for those that aren't from Arizona or the Southwest, that's a lot of lot of territory you got to you got to cover. Um, and then we're also been talking to people that feel like no one ever talks to them. We we had the first all Spanish town hall uh, last year, and we'll have some more where 
we had um, the questions in Spanish and I answered in Spanish because just because you're not Spanish dominant or you're not English dominant, like my grandparents were, uh, they, they were, uh, you know, good, uh, you know, great grandparents, but they just did not speak uh, the best uh, uh, English, uh, but the great citizens. Uh, and they, uh, and I knew growing up, they had a lot of political opinions because they, they talked to me about it. Uh, and I always thought it was weird that when we open up our, the, our town halls, we never open up to people that want to be involved. Uh, uh, just, be, but there's a language barrier. And so, you know, we, 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 we're doing that. So this campaign is, is not resting on the laurels. Yes, those polls are very good, but we are going to keep fighting, uh, for every vote all the way because, uh, it's not just me that needs to win. It's every Democrat up and down the ticket. Well, let's talk about who you have to fight over. In the Emerson polls, somewhere between 13 and 15 percent of voters say they're undecided. Who exactly are those voters in demographic terms and, and what's going on with them? Well, I think the undecideds are people that are waiting to hear uh, who I am. And that's why we have to get out there. Carrie Lake is very well known and she's very well disliked. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that um, have decided that no matter what, they're not going to vote for Carrie Lake. Uh, and uh, for those that know me, we are winning versus Caroling. There's a certain por- portion of population that does not know me and are still going to vote for me because they just dislike her that much. There's another portion of the population that this is what I'm doing right now. I'm getting on the phones. I'm going to the town halls. I'm going to the you know the markets uh, to introduce myself. I'm again traveling the state, and we're going to communicate early and often with them so that way they know who I am, they know my story, and they know where I want to go. And when that happens. We're going to be- make uh, a good conversion on all of those undecideds uh, and get them uh, to vote for us. Who are they demographically? It's a combination. Younger Latinos that just started getting into politics. Um, a lot of people that moved to Arizona. Um, moderate uh, and disaffected Republicans that do not want to vote for Donald Trump or for uh, Carrie Lake and, and are looking for uh, anybody else that wants to talk you know, about sane politics uh, to them. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned earlier that you, you're doing some Latino town halls. I want to ask you about Latino voters in Arizona in particular. There's a lot of talk about Democrats losing ground to Trump among Latino voters, especially men. Now, obviously, Arizona has a lot of those voters in it. Is there an erosion for Democrats? And, and what's really driving it? Well, historically speaking, Republic, Latino men have voted more Republican than women, but not, not like some amazing amount. I mean, that means we, we as Democrats will only win 55 or 58% of Latino men versus that. Um, what's the driver of it? It just depends on the candidate too. You have to be communicating to that community. You also have to be answering to that community. This is a working class community. This is, this is why I do very well with Latino men because they know that I understand their world. You know, I grew up on the construction sites. I grew up in the meatpacking factories uh, working at the restaurants, everything I needed to do just to make the extra buck for my family. I mean, there is nothing more, ex- there was nothing, was, I still think about the president's, but there was nothing more exciting than when my boss came and offered me overtime back in the day. And let me tell you, you got to be a certain level of sick when you're excited about working overtime in a meatpacking factory. But when you're working class, time and a half is golden. It's golden. And it's so important to your family. And a lot of times politicians don't think about the people that measured their wealth and how many hours they work. Uh, and we have to get back to that. We had to figure out how to make that person that, that calculates their living by how many hours they work as a priority. And so 
we uh, and I communicate that on on this campaign, and we communicate that also to our our, our uh, Latina women who are the leaders in the family, who are the people that uh, you know are getting the college degrees uh, in our community, that are starting the businesses. Uh, that are raising the kids, and they just want a little help out there. So we're, you know, approaching this on all on all fronts to make sure that they know that this is the campaign that not only is going to fight for them, but it's fighting for them because they they understand or I understand what they have gone through, what they're going through right now. Yeah, and and it seems to me the debate is a little skewed by what happened in Florida, right? Trump won in 2020 by yeah. a, bit, a bit more than expected and Ron DeSantis's crushing victory there in 2022. Uh, Latinos in Florida are different, right? Well, I was one of the things that, very, that frustrates me is that because I was the chairman of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus uh, PAC in 2022 and we ran uh, 11 Latino members of Congress and we won nine of them, some of them in very swing areas. And what I would tell you is that where Latinos won and where Democrats won Latinos is where they spent the money to do it, right, to communicate to them. Um, where it did, did not happen was South Florida. South Florida, because of the top of the ticket, was, you know, without a doubt, weak in terms of their campaign ability, their fundraising uh, capability, was not what ca- caused cratering down there. Now, in Arizona, you know, since this so-called slide has happened, we've elected more and more Democrats than ever in the history uh, of our state. You know, last year we had Sarah Mark Kelly, winning with an overwhelming Latino vote. Uh, Adrian Fontes, uh, first statewide elected Latino uh, male uh, that just got elected also. Um, you know, one thing that is, a, 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 I would say, very, um, co- not coincidence, but I think something we have to be aware of, they were both veterans too, something that, that Latino communities value, something that we're also, you know, talking about uh, from my experience as a Marine. Uh, and then we also had Katie Hobbs defeating uh, someone uh, like Carrie Lake, even though she was, uh, out, outgunned in terms of money, and then also just in terms of media, uh, and she still was able to beat Carrie Lake with uh, big support from Latino community. And the the you know I could give you reasons even why that happened too. Yeah, I want to talk to you about what what's happening in the Southwest in a second, but there are deep cultural differences between Florida Latinos and sure. Southwest Latinos, right? Can you talk about what the what those differences are and and why they kind of pollute the debate a little bit because people, a lot of the national pundits kind of look at Florida and say, oh, Trump and Republicans are winning Latinos, but it's just not, it's not a comparable situation, is it? Yeah. I mean, like Latinos in Florida, first of all, there's a huge diaspora of Latinos there. And a lot of them are first generation political refugees from their countries. Uh, They also tend to have higher educations than than other Latino populations um, and come from countries that have been repressive and somewhat left-leaning. And so they're, when they come here, they are, or most of them are somewhat naturally aligned uh, with uh, the politics of the right. And then you also have a Cuban American population already in Florida that has created like a Latino political ecosystem that, ex- that is, you know, um, it allows like people to the permission structure to become and vote Republican. Uh, also, the experience is different. Latinos in Arizona have a very different experience with Republicans, right? Uh, you have to understand, and in, in for many years, Latinos in Arizona were dealing with some very horrific policies that created some really, really bad legislation and and just bad, um, you know, I would say feelings. Uh, you know, we had some of the worst Republicans that were so xenophobic in their politics that it, it drove a lot of Repo- Democratic or Republican-leaning Latinos out of the Republican Party 
that were McCain Latino supporters to the Democrats. And that was because of racist Republicans like Russell Pierce, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, laws like SB 1070, and either some, even some laws that you never heard of that were proposed back in the day. And when, you know, when that those laws were passing, Latinos in Arizona were, were a very nascent population. We weren't voting yet. We were very young. Uh, as a matter of fact, in 2010, it was the kind of the, the rise of the, the, the worst of the worst of these bills. You know, the average Latino, the average Latino population was 24. Now, you fast forward, the average age of a Latino in Arizona is 27, and we're voting, right? We're voting a lot. Right mm-hmm. now, all eight senators from the key states out there, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, and Colorado, caucus with Democrats. Right. Biden, Biden won all four of them in 2020. Back in 2004, George W. Bush took all four of those states. So in that intervening period, the area has really moved to Democrats. Mm-hmm. Why, ex- why exactly did this happen beyond the stuff you talked about um, in terms of Republican extremism on immigration? What, what are the deeper forces at work here and what does it mean? I mean, honestly, it's part, it's, it's a lot of that, right? First of all, George Bush Jr. had a very good approach to Latinos, uh, to, you know, was a big uh, pusher of the Congress of Congress immigration reform, um, you know, really being a text understood Latinos. And, and though he never won the Latino community, by the way, in terms of popular vote, uh, he did uh, well enough. Uh, and so did, so were other Republicans that represented uh, these areas, right? They were not restrictionists. They were largely traditional conservatives. What has happened in the Southwest is you have a confluence, I would say, of demographics, policies, and politicians that have all led to this, right? So you have a growing Latino population that's become more politicized and more politically aware um, and and radicalized in the sense that they they don't like uh, Republican policies because of the restrictionist and uh, nature that some of these uh, restrictionists as well as just extreme uh, nature of some of these Republicans were. It's not just uh, in Arizona, as I talked about. Nevada had their versions of it. Colorado had their versions of it with Tom Tocredo. New Mexico had their versions of it. And so as they became more politically active, who do they look around for between the two parties? They went to the right and they saw people that just was not open to them. Um, And then you also have a movement of very well, uh, or very well, just educated voters uh, coming in from other parts of the country, people that are moving, uh, whether they're retirees or whether they're moving their businesses or they're uh, just want to live in beautiful places. And they decided to move to the Southwest and they brought their more moderate politics to them. I'm not saying they're Democrats. I'm not saying they're even liberal. They're just moderates. Well, let's talk about immigration. In, in the 2022 midterms, Republicans were absolutely certain that they'd win on the issue and pundits credulously went along with them. Yet in Arizona, Blake Masters made immigration central. He, he even ran ads featuring machine gun fire at the border, and he lost his Senate race by a fairly sizable margin. Other Republicans in the Southwest also lost. It, it's significant that, that, that Southwestern Republicans lost despite being despite being really really very deeply confident that the issue was playing in their favor because uh, you, you know the border has been a very tough issue for democrats um now i think things look a little worse for biden than they did maybe in 2022 so so how exactly can democrats win the argument on it or at least blunt its impact in places like the southwest where it's very salient what do you say to voters about the issue 
Well, first, let's, let's identify the problem with happening in 2022. The problem you have with the border and with border politics is that the people that are making the ads about the border aren't from border states. So Blake Masters and a bunch of these people got East Coast Republican operatives to do commercials about the border, about what they believe the border is from New York or from Washington, D.C. or wherever they are. But they don't actually understand what the Arizonan sees every day. You have to understand, like for us, the border is here. I, if I leave my house right now, uh, and if there's no traffic, I can hit the border in close to two hours, right? If you live even further south, it could get there in, in almost uh, about less than an hour, right? There's Arizonans that cross the border every day to go get food, to go get medicine, to go to vacation. The nearest beach in Arizona is in Mexico, not California. Tens of thousands of Arizonans own homes in Mexico. We cross that border every day. Every day, 15,000, just in Yuma County, 15,000 Mexican nationals cross the border to come work our fields. During COVID, we had to give, give an exception to the COVID shutdown to allow Mexican nationals to cross the border uh, in Yuma County only on the southwest border because if we didn't, America would not have had enough winter vegetables or winter lettuce to feed itself. We need the border to function. But the plans that the Republicans have had and, and are trying to do will not create a functional border. What does a functional border look like? Business coming back and forth, uh, the ability for Border Patrol to stop illegal entries, uh, especially being able to, uh, at, at customs, where most of the time we find the fentanyl, customs be able to check 100% all vehicles. And then for the asylum surges, being able to manage the asylum surges. But the only way we're going to do that is if we have enough resources. And what does the resources mean? We need more immigration judges. We need more Border Patrol. All these things, by the way, that were in that border solutions bill that wasn't perfect, but at least it was a start and the Republicans rejected it. Well, I think what I hear you saying here is that between these East Coast consultants who cut these ads um, and and MAGA politicians who call the border a war zone, the, diff the, the fundamental difference here is that for people in the Southwest, the border is a real thing. It's a very right? real thing. Right. And and and. And for a lot of national Republican operatives and politicians and media figures, it's really a fantasy zone, right? Mm -hmm. the, the ads you're talking about really kind of portray it almost like a, a video game, really, like a, yeah. a combat video game. Yeah, and, no, they put, on, so, they put on flap jackets and put on combat helmets. Like, exactly. I, I've, been in, I've been in combat. I've been in combat. You don't need a flap jacket and a helmet when you're in some of these really beautiful towns uh, on the border. And I'm not even going to mention these towns names because it's not even fair to to them when we actually conflate the two right it's a it's an utter joke when these heavy set republican aging republican politicians go down there and sort of uh, play act being Absolutely. military figures and and but it really is a fantasy zone in 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 this kind of place where fox news and and Republican ads and Republican fundraising pitches exist sort of separately from the real world of the border. And and Lake is kind of part of that fantasy zone, sure, right? Absolutely. She's, she's a believer in great replacement theory, which for listeners holds that elites are plotting to replace native born Americans via mass migration. Um, so in Arizona, they hear that kind of thing and it just sounds crazy, right? I mean, look, it, it hasn't worked for the last four cycle or three cycles. I don't think it's going to work again. Now, we as Democrats also have to offer solutions. 
And, you know, one of the things that I, I, I talk about all the time, I pride myself about, it's like, you know, since being in Congress for 10 years now, I have voted for $116 billion for border security and passed, right? This is not just me voting theoretically, it passed. It passed and we have brought more border patrol to the border, more customs, more technology, fencing where it's, it's supposed to be, uh, stricter laws, uh, better recruitments for, for border patrol, uh, and at the same time, advocating for immigration reform. That's where the space where the Southwest Democrats have been. And that's why we're winning, because we are very uh, rational about the border. We need border security, but you also need immigration reform. We need to uh, you know, live by our values uh, in, in processing and, and dealing with asylum. But we also do not want it to be abused, which we agree is being abused now. Well, I want to, I want to ask you about this, because MAGA Republicans, I think, on some gut level, really believe that the middle of the electorate shares their animus towards immigrants and is prone to believing crackpot conspiracy theories about migration. But as far as I can tell, moderate swing voters aren't really ideological on this issue. They're they're generally pro-immigration as long as it's managed effectively. And so yeah, I think your, your point about the sweet spot for Democrats is one I've made here on the show too. The sweet spot is a very well-resourced system that makes immigration work for the country. Right. But also, it also relieves, it also relieves border patrol. Like if you have people that are able to come here legally, go through a background check, pay a fee, uh, notify, uh, you know, your local you know, office where you are and stay here for a couple of years to work legally, uh, they're not going to go through legal methods to, to come here, right? That's just very logical. You know, there are people that are paying $20,000 for the chance to cross with a coyote. If we said, pay us $5,000, we'll give you three years of work visa. You have to go through a background check. You have to tell us where you are, uh, you know, periodically check in to make sure, you know, you're not lying on your application, things of that nature. You'd have a lot more people using that than this other system where they are abusing a system. But it is, it is important for us to understand that, you know, when when voters are telling you that I feel you know, not great about the border. And they say, like, I don't like the chaos at the border. We should actually listen to them, too, because they're telling you something. They're not saying I'm against immigration reform. Right. And I think sometimes some people just kind of shut down as soon as they hear that. Right. I, I think that's a, a wrong approach that Democrats take. You need to listen to what they're saying. A lot of time it is working class Latinos that, that will tell me that. And they they want they want to see order there. They're not saying um, kick everybody out. Like, you know, they don't want like the massive deportation that, uh, you know, Carrie Lake wants of people that have been here for, you know, decades now, uh, but have not had a chance to get right with immigration. They, they don't want our dreamers kicked out like, like Carrie Lake does, uh, and Trump does the, but they don't want to see, you know, they also don't want to see what's happening in the border. They want us to bring some semblance of ordinance order to it. This discussion would not be complete without a, a, a mention of Meghan McCain, the daughter of the late, the daughter of the late Senator John McCain has absolutely hammered Lake recently for disparaging John McCain and other quote unquote McCain Republicans. Um, why don't you recap that for us? This this kind of opens a window on how MAGA works, doesn't it? I mean, if Trump disparages McCain's war service, so of course Carrie Lake has to dump on him too, right? The the boss did it, the cult leader did it, so Carrie Lake has to do it. Yeah, look, I mean, I you know I had my differences with Senator McCain. Um, you know, as an Iraq War veteran, a combat veteran, I was against the Iraq War and the conduct of that war. Um, 
And then even I saw your out, tweets have come up. Your tweets yeah, about him have come up. Yeah. I'm not ashamed of my tweets or anything like that, but I, yeah. those, those were policy differences. And um, even though he made fun of me all the time for being a Marine and not being able to read, whatever, um, I actually respected the man. And, um, and also, I mean, this is just a general courtesy of life. When someone's dead, let them rest in peace. And what Carrie Lake did, she basically, you know, beat up on a, on a man that was dead, on a legacy that was dead. And, and it was personal. I think what it is is a coded message to to sort of MAGA nation, right, everywhere, that she's with Trump. I, I just, I mean, I, I guess. Uh, it's just, it, Arizona's not that way. We're just not as MAGA nation. I think we're a more civil place than people give us credit for. There's a lot of Republicans, a lot of Democrats. We are, we're not exactly a, kind of a bubble state. We are very intermi- intermixed. Uh, I have a lot of Republican friends still. I think I'm still their de- their their Democratic friend. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully, see, I'll see if I get invited back to the barbecues, but we'll see. Uh, and so, it, whatever she's doing is is a small is not a world that actually exists in Arizona. That's not real Arizona. Arizona does not act the way that she acts. Does not behave the way that she behaves or her followers. And yet, she came so close to beating Katie Hobbs. But this this race will be maybe a little bit different. I think now that that the, the now that Arizona knows her a little better. Absolutely, Katie Hobbs did a great job at teaching everyone about who she is. We're going to do the same. You know, if you go, you could go to Gallego for Arizona.com. You'll learn more about her, learn more about me. But we're going to win this race because we're the only ones that are talking to Arizonans every day. And not just MAGA Arizonans, not just Republicans. We're talking to every Arizonans. Ruben Gallego, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. Gracias. You've been listening to The Daily Blast with me, your host, Greg Sargent. The Daily Blast is a New Republic podcast and is produced by Riley Fessler and the DSR Network. 